Jesus would have liked one of those prayers anyway. The one he thought of first. In his countercultural manifesto that we call the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, this is how you should pray. This is how you should pray. We might like to think that when it comes to prayer, anything goes. That prayer is so intensely personal and individual. I mean, who's to say that there's a right way to pray and a wrong way to pray? Jesus. <laughs> In Luke chapter 11, his disciples come to him and say, Lord, teach us to pray. And he gives them the same model prayer he gives us in Matthew 6. Our Lord has the right to say, this is how you should pray. Our King has the right to say, there's a right way to pray and a wrong way to pray. For example, in the verses just before the Lord's Prayer, verse 5 of Matthew 6, and I encourage you to once again have your Bibles open to this passage. He says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. And I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, Pray to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I probably don't have to spend a lot of time on this first point for a couple of reasons. One is last Sunday, Drew did a pretty good job of walking us through the verses that Joe read again this morning, and we saw that whether we're talking about giving or praying, or fasting, or by implication, any spiritual discipline, we're not supposed to be trying to impress other people. And another reason that I might not have to spend a whole lot of time on this one is that in my experience, at least, not a lot of Christians are praying to impress other people. Some, I've heard some, and I've probably forgotten some, but for everyone who, like the guy in the video, is putting on a show, Almighty God, listen to my King Jamesy prayer, for everyone like that, I'm guessing there are 30 Christians who don't like to pray out loud at all when other people are around. Now, if I just describe you, then don't take offense at what I'm about to say next, because I realize that there may be all different kinds of reasons why people prefer to be quiet in a corporate prayer meeting, but I have sometimes wondered if for at least some people the reason that they will not pray out loud is because ironically they feel that they can't impress other people. They've heard others pray in prayer meeting and thought, boy, those people really know how to, how to talk to God. I don't think I could do that. I don't, I don't think I could pray that impressively. Now, it's just a theory. And if it's true, it might be true only for a few people. But one way or the other, whether it's in what we say or if it's in refraining from saying anything, Jesus says, 
that when it comes to prayer, we are not out to impress other people, but to be heard by God. Years ago, a New England newspaper ran a report on what the author said was, quote, the most eloquent prayer ever offered to a Boston congregation. I think Jesus would call our attention to that preposition, too. <laughs> it wasn't that the prayer was offered for the congregation or on behalf of the congregation. It was words to the congregation, and the write-up in the newspaper was all the reward that prayer ever got. Received your reward in full, Jesus says. Rather, your prayer should be interested in one thing, being heard by God. Being heard by God. Now, I think Drew said last week that when Jesus here says in verse 6, go into your room and close the door and pray in secret, he is not ruling out all public praying. Jesus himself prayed in public. The apostles did, the prophets did, the psalmists did, and we do. We did just a few minutes ago, and we invite you to a prayer time tonight in which some people will speak out loud in lifting up their petitions to the Lord. Now, I think what, what's happening here is this verse 6 is a strong way of saying, don't show off. Don't try to impress other people. Now, you might have noticed that here in chapter 6, Jesus says a few times, don't show off. But back in chapter 5, verse 16, he said, let your light shine so that people can see your good deeds. <laughs> so, so which is it? Private or public? Don't let anybody see what you're doing or let your light shine. Well, any contradiction is more apparent than real. Motive is everything. When we let our light shine before others, we glorify God. When we show off, we glorify ourselves. And perhaps a, a helpful rule of thumb here would be when we're tempted to hide, we should show. When we're tempted to show, well, then maybe we should hide. I think Billy Graham got this. He was having lunch in a restaurant with some businessmen, and he knew these guys. He had had lunch with them before, and he knew that some of them were really embarrassed to be seen giving thanks for the meal in public. I don't know this for a fact, but maybe some of them had even tried the old trick. You drop your napkin on the floor, and then when you reach down to pick it up, you say, Lord, thank you for this food. Amen. And then... So Billy realized this was one of those occasions where not to show off, but to let your light shine, he needed to do something. So he stood up and he prayed a prayer of blessing on the meal in a conversational tone that could be heard not only by the people at his table, but by the tables nearby. Let your light shine, but don't try to impress other people. And when it comes to prayer, 
you are trying to be heard by God, not to be heard by other people. And then Jesus, in saying that there's a right way to pray and a wrong way to pray, says, don't keep on babbling like pagans. Not empty babbling, but confidence that God hears. Uh, verse 7. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. The word in Greek here is the only occurrence of that word anywhere in first century Greek literature, and so it's been translated different ways. King James says, vain repetition. And keep doing that like pagans who have a very different view of God. They think they'll be heard because of their many words. Well, don't be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. My cousin, when she was six or seven years old, asked her parents for a tape recorder for her birthday. They said, what do you want to use it for? And she said, I want to record my bedtime prayer so I don't have to say it every night. I can just push the button. <laughs> well, we can laugh and make an excuse for a six or seven-year-old, but not for grown-ups who ought to know better. In Jesus' day and in our own day, People with a pagan view of God think that multiplying words, whether they're meaningful or not, is how you gain a hearing with the gods. So in some countries where God is not known already as a gracious father, you'll have people using prayer wheels that spin or prayer flags that flap in the breeze, and these instruments supposedly do the praying for them. Closer to home, thoughtless use of printed prayers can become a kind of vain repetition. Now, the Worldwide Church has some wonderful, rich liturgies, but if people use them in a thoughtless, mindless way, it becomes a kind of empty babbling. And even in the free church tradition where the prayer book is seldom, if ever, used, you can sometimes hear certain repeated catchwords or holy-sounding phrases that have long since become pretty much meaningless, or even the name of God or Father used as a punctuation mark. We thank you, Lord, that, Lord, you have been with us today, Lord, and you're going to be with us forever, Lord. And, Father, we just lift up to you, Father, these requests, Father, and ask that Why do we not pray that way? Because that's not the kind of God we have. Our Father, who loves us, cares about us, knows what's best for us, and is even more eager to give those things to us than we are to ask. He isn't ignorant as if he needed to be informed by our prayers. He isn't reluctant as if he needed to be persuaded by our prayers. Now, as Calvin put it years ago, believers do not pray with the view of informing God about things unknown to him, or of exciting him to his duty, or of urging him as though he were reluctant. On the contrary, they pray in order that they may arouse themselves to seek him, 
that they may exercise their faith in meditating on his promises, that they may relieve themselves from their anxieties by pouring them into his bosom. In a word, that they may declare that from him alone they hope and expect, both for themselves and for others, all good things. Luther put it even more succinctly, by our praying, we are instructing ourselves more than him. Don't keep on babbling like pagans. Ironically, even the Lord's Prayer can become vain repetition. <laughs> I was at a pro-life rally once where uh, someone was invited to the podium to lead in prayer. So the woman came to the mic and recited the Lord's Prayer, and then she said it again, and again, and again. She didn't add anything. She didn't flesh it out. She just kept saying these exact words. I really don't think that's what Jesus had in mind when he said, this is how you should pray. So let's be aware that even the model prayer that Jesus gave us does not become, uh, ironically, vain repetition. Our Lord himself prayed on some occasions and used different words. James and John, Peter and Paul all pray in the pages of the New Testament and they don't pray these exact words. And furthermore, the Bible Jesus read, we call it the Old Testament, has a prayer guide in it already. The book of Psalms is the inspired prayer book of the Bible. Jesus prayed those prayers, and nowhere do we get any hint that he thinks, well, now we can dispense with that and only pray these exact words. So another thing that Jesus means when he says, this is how you should pray, is that our prayer should not be rote repetition, but thoughtful praying. Not rote repetition, same words, but thoughtful praying. The petitions of the Lord's Prayer are headings about which many other things could be said. Uh, C.S. Lewis used the imagery of a Christmas tree. Uh, the petitions of the Lord's Prayer are the branches and Lewis said, we festoon those branches. That's his word. I probably wouldn't have come up with it. We decorate it. We, we hang our requests on the branches. So when we pray, hallowed be thy name, we say, Father, may you be regarded as holy by everybody everywhere. And may I and my church family never do anything that brings disgrace on your holy name. And, and while I'm praying, let me honor you for some of your names. Father, for starters, what an amazing privilege it is that unworthy Ken has been born again and adopted into the family, and, and I get to call you Father. And I honor you as creator. What a beautiful day you've made and what a wonderful world you've created and, and so on. Hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. 
Lord, I lift up to you the kingdom-expanding ministries of our mission partners, and then name them and their specific requests. Lord, I long that your kingdom values be more in evidence in my community and in my nation, and then name the specific issues. And when I say, thy kingdom come, I can't help but think, come, Lord Jesus. May the return of the king be soon. And in the meantime, may he empower me by his spirit to be at my post, faithfully doing what he calls me to do, so that when he does come, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Forgive us our trespasses. Name them. And so on, through the petitions of the Lord's Prayer. And in this pattern of thoughtful praying, notice that it is not me, but us. Do you ever hear a prayer, or maybe offer a prayer that sounds like a soloist warming up? Me, 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 me. <laughs> Jesus would say, now this is how you should pray. Our Father. Give us, forgive us, lead us. <laughs> when I saw the guy in the Skit Guys video praying about his yapping mother, I thought of the story. Supposedly a co-ed was overheard praying, God, I'm not asking for anything for myself, but would you give my mother a handsome son-in-law? <laughs> Now, maybe God chuckles at a prayer like that, too. Maybe he even answers it. But normally, if our praying is always about me and my needs, the Spirit of Jesus would remind us of the pattern of prayer. This is how you should pray. Us, us, our, the family is in view here. The whole people of God, not just me. And then, finally, notice that in Jesus' pattern for prayer, it isn't my concerns first, but God's concerns first. In an old Dennis the Menace strip, Dennis is halfway up the steps on his way to bed. His parents in the living room, still surrounded by a bunch of dinner guests, say, don't forget to say your prayers. And Dennis says, okay, anybody need anything? And uh, we, we can appreciate his confidence without necessarily endorsing his view that praying is bringing your list to Santa Claus or bringing your shopping list to the grocery store. Before the model prayer ever gets to give us our daily bread, Jesus says we pray, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. God's concerns first. I hope that in our adult Bible fellowships and Bible study groups and Sunday school classes and in our private devotions, we're not only praying about safe travel for our friends or successful surgeries, but that we're praying about God's concerns. Missions outreach, 
effective evangelism, our unsaved neighbors, the health and growth of our church, and any church where the Bible is preached and Jesus is honored as the God-man. His concerns. Now, I don't think that Jesus would say, don't even bother praying unless you start with, hallowed be thy name. This is not to be applied in a legalistic way. And our Father knows that sometimes our hearts are so heavy, we just hardly even know the right words to use. Sometimes all we can do is say, oh God. And he hears. But ordinarily, when we're able to, and we want to pray like Jesus said, we ought to pray, we put God's concerns first. And you see that in the doxology with which the Lord's Prayer ends. Well, maybe you notice that it's not in the text. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's there. But what about, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. With which we, we end when we say these words. They're not in the text. Well, that's because they are not found in the most reliable Greek manuscripts of Matthew. How they came to be added in some later manuscripts, we can't be sure. Perhaps that for some centuries when God's people prayed as Jesus taught them to pray, they added this doxology and some scribe, just remembering how he had said it hundreds of times in worship, uh, included it by accident, but however it came to be there or not be there, it is biblical. Listen, for example, to how David prays in 1 Chronicles 29. You don't have to turn to it, but just listen and see if this sounds familiar. This is David praying. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. <laughs> well, the doxology with which we end our recitation of the Lord's Prayer, thoroughly biblical, sound theology. So having started with God's concerns and then prayed for our needs, including our need for forgiveness and deliverance from evil, we come back to God and pray your kingdom. Yours is the kingdom. You rule over everything, and we are your loyal subjects. And as we sang in our first song this morning, you, you are king of everything. I want my life to praise you. It's all there. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. God, you can do anything. Some of the requests I brought to you today are little. Some of them are huge, but none of them are too big for you. You have all power on heaven, in heaven and on earth, and so nothing limits you except your wisdom and your will. Yours is the power, and yours is the glory forever.
Whatever you do, Father, in response to our prayers, even if in your wisdom you say no to some of these petitions, you get the honor. You get the credit. Yours is the glory. Amen.